managing the things in life you can control is work enough. Incorporating the things we can't control into the mix can reach a breaking point. Everyone has a different tolerance, but when the bucket is full, something has to give. Mental health is one of those things that might give. Maybe a little, or maybe a lot. Today's episode is about my own view of depression and what seems to work for me. The Culinary Libertarian Podcast, episode 150. Welcome to the Culinary Libertarian Podcast, where the philosophy is free, but the food is on you. Welcome back to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Happy to be here. Onion chip dip tastes good, but don't buy it. Make it. Use my recipe at culinarylibertarian.com slash supergrub. You'll also find a buttermilk dressing perfect for salads or dips. That's at culinarylibertarian.com slash supergrub. And if the link wasn't a clue, football season's coming. Today's episode isn't food or liberty. I want to talk about depression. This is just me, and I have no training on this topic, but I have experience with depression, or at least I think so. I am going to cover some stats, but not just now. One place to start is to see if there is a clear definition. Psychiatry.org lists nine points that may be symptoms of depression. Feeling sad, loss of interest in enjoyable activities, change in appetite, trouble with sleep, too little or too much, loss of energy or feeling tired, Increased nervous energy, like pacing or hand-wringing, feeling worthless, trouble with concentration, and suicidal ideation or thoughts of death. Well, it's about as clear as mud. Anyone can feel at least one or two of these things on any given day, and that may not mean we're depressed. Any number of reasons can account for each of us being tired or restless. Because those symptoms look like how we feel in any given day, knowing if we are depressed is difficult. Mental health, and that's what this topic is about, is not something many of us discuss openly. I am pretty sure we talk religion or politics far more than we talk about compromised mental health. Casual acquaintances will look askance, and trusted friends for such a talk may be scarce. Telling anyone you know that one of the best ideas you can think of at times is putting your wallet and phone on the counter and walking out will not be heard dispassionately. So, speaking for myself, that discussion never happens. As that list stands, nothing there seems, by itself, a significant concern. 
add a word to the description of depressed, and a whole new level of specificity appears. Say, clinically depressed, and that seems to carry more weight. Oh, clinically, well, it must be something then. You can imagine the George Carlin wordplay. Clinical depression is also called major depression and has a bit more of a definition. Medicalnewstoday.com defines depression as, quote, a mood disorder that involves a persistent feeling of sadness and loss of interest. It is different from the mood fluctuations that people regularly experience as part of life, end quote. All right, well, it's a little better, but how long is persistent? Webster's reads that something is persistent when it exists longer than usual. Well, not a whole lot of help, and I get the idea. Out of the normal. Out of the usual. One reason I'm dissecting this language is to get to some sense of constancy. Is persistent depression constant or intermittent? Can I be down and up and still be clinically depressed? How normal are the mood swing cycles and how long does a quote-unquote normal up or down last? I know that seems rhetorical, and that's part of what I think makes depression so hard to define and identify. There is another component which makes depression a challenge, and that is the stigma. Tell a friend you feel depressed, and you'll probably hear some version of, Chin up, old chap! Pull yourself up by the bootstraps, or some other probably well-intentioned expression that neither helps nor acknowledges how you feel. My self-diagnosis at the opening is just that. I determined that I may be depressed. How do I know? I don't feel right. If you have ever eaten way too much, say Thanksgiving dinner perhaps, and felt ill, like for reals, what's in needs to get out, you know that feeling means something is not right. You don't require a doctor to tell you you don't feel good. That's the case with my self-diagnosis. I don't know if it is depression or mild anxiety or something else, but I know the operation of my body, and this is off. Most people know when they are not firing on all cylinders, so to speak, but the added possible social shame of admitting depression seems, probably for many, to admit weakness. I've been up and down for years. Down follows up as sure as night follows day. Every dinner service came with euphoria or despair or both, and I know that even though that was always the case, it doesn't meet the requirements for depression. Take me out of the kitchen, I still have ups and downs. We all do. What I started noticing was the downs lasted longer. I also noticed the downs and the ups coincided with specific life events. Lose a job and get down. Get a job and get up. 
my moods were impacted by the day's events, and that may have lasted days or weeks. In the last two years or so, I've noticed the downs increase in downness. They don't always last a long time, sometimes a few hours or maybe a couple of days. I was used to that, and I could depend on the cycle booming, so to speak. Knowing that the cycle was predictable helped. I think I'm the kind of person who likes, maybe even wants, consistency. It can be a pure crap experience, but as long as tomorrow matches today, that's good. Events I cannot control or impact, the decisions of others I cannot control or impact, and just the poop show that sometimes is life makes for a lot of uncertainty. Since I've been in Oregon, steady income has eluded me. That's the challenge to a guy like me. I like to carry my own water. Due to the needs of my wife's work and her schedule, which changes every new college term, and the kids' activities and their school, a firm 9-to-5 gig is almost impossible. Life events, things that come at us and we have to deal with head-on, can be hard on the system to process. On that list of signs and symptoms, not one of them includes dealing with the crap that is day-to-day living. I think I was lucky to have found a way to expedite the bust cycle. In my life, one activity has successfully shortened that bust, and that is tweaking recipes even if it is to adjust one of them down by a third. I can't tell you why it works, but getting my brain into the math of reducing a recipe quantity, thinking about how to push the limits of the procedure to improve the finished product gets me up. I noticed this very specifically in the last episode. As soon as I started talking to the microphone about testing your recipes, what to do, how the mix should look, I felt up and clear-headed. The challenge is getting enough gumption, even knowing that will work, to start in the first place. There is another component missing from that list of nine. Time. Actually, a few items. Time and exposure and duration. The slow drip, 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 drip of assault on the senses and the never-ending repetition of that drip, 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 drip. COVID policies have impacted so many people in so many ways, it may take years to fully understand the vast damage the politicians and self-appointed despots have done. I mentioned some stats. Not many because, well, it's depressing. From the Mental Health America website, mhanational.org, from an October 20, 2020 paragraph, it reads, quote, As the pandemic relentlessly persists, we are seeing the highest levels of anxiety and depression reported since the pandemic hit the U.S. in March.
said Paul Gianfrido, president and CEO of MHA. This is a troubling trend being fueled by loneliness and isolation. We are also seeing alarming numbers of children reporting thoughts of suicide and self-harm. We already knew that not enough was being done to support people living with mental illness, but the State of Mental Health in America report confirms the trend that mental health in the U.S. continues to get worse, end quote. Parsing figures is challenging. The JAMANetwork.com website reports on a study which indicates before COVID, about 25% of U.S. residents had symptoms of mild or greater depression. During COVID, that number rose to 52.5. I'll put the link on the show notes page and you can read it to see how they determined those numbers. Life challenges have always been part of day-to-day life. Work and or school and family and bills and play and on and on. That's enough for anyone. Regardless how you feel about COVID, pandemic or pandemic, the restrictions on movement, quarantines, mask mandates, sick until proven well, and the assault on your sanity from every sphere takes a toll. That drip, 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 drip keeps adding water to the barrel, and I'm torturing this analogy. I've also mentioned things you can't control. World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, plant-based meats, Green New Deal, critical race theory, two weeks to slow the spread, lockdowns, layoffs, unessential workers, businesses failing, an individual sense of self-destroyed, attacks on Christians, vaccines, and still get COVID, and passports, and more lockdowns, and whatever else is pushed out on TV and social media, it is no wonder so many people become overwhelmed and depressed. Overwhelmed is right, at least for me. Those boom and bust cycles still happen, but the busts are deeper and last longer, and the booms aren't quite as high as they used to be. Part of this is from a sense of doom that the Great Reset is continuing apace and there is nothing I can do to stop it. Alone, as one, that's almost certainly the case. There are a lot of folks who are working very diligently in the opposite direction. Those plans by the self-appointed elites I call the despots don't get a lot of empathy from most folks. Most people will probably think that's a conspiracy theory and tell you to stop watching Fox News. Now, I'll admit, the moving parts are hard to see, but they are there even as your well-meaning associates say they aren't. Schwab wrote several books about his plans. They can call conspiracy theory all they want, but those books are for sale on Amazon, so it's not a big secret. I can't do anything about it, and knowing that does little in my life to make the weight of that seem less. What I can control comes with some restrictions. Cash is a problem. Lack of cash is a problem. 
I like baking and testing and tweaking, and that requires ingredients, and those require cash. It's a frustration, and on some days, it impacts my sense of self. That example seems insignificant all by itself, but drip, 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 drip. I have some associations where my seemingly allotted word count in conversation is 15 words, and after that, I might as well not even be in the room. Drip, drip, drip. It all adds up. It adds up to unhealthy thoughts and probably can add up to becoming physical manifestations in some way. So far, it's just feelings of despair and uselessness. I used to joke I could be at a KISS concert with 80,000 raging fans and be alone and lonely. This is different. I feel invisible in plain sight. When it's bad, it seems every breath I take is wasted, and that oxygen would be better used by somebody more worthy. That's a low, low. It's not me, but that's who I am right now. I've worked in the restaurant business for some of the biggest buttholes ever. I can handle abuse. This is worse. Verbal abuse is exterior. This is interior. Even when the low passes and I reach some level of apathy or mild gumption, the motivation rarely matches the mood. It was often still low. Doing much was not possible. Both lows, low mood and low gumption, are going up in the last weeks, and that's good. Socrates is alleged to have said the unexamined life is not worth living. What he omitted, since they were going to kill him, is that's frickin' hard. Let's talk about this more in a minute, but first, let's take a moment out for a word from Jake about his Tasting Anarchy podcast. Hey everyone, Jake here, host of the Tasting Anarchy podcast. Join my co-host Mason and I each week as we explore the world of wine and alcohol through a liberty lens. You can find us on all your major podcatchers, tastinganarchy.com or Tasting Anarchy on Twitter. Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Find out how much government is in your drink. All right, a disclaimer. Again, I am not a doctor. I don't play a doctor on this podcast. I am not giving medical advice. I am not telling you to do anything. I will tell you what I do or what I've read that might or might not work. For medical advice, see a doctor. My kids recently saw For Reels TV, ads and all. Some of those ads were for big pharma meds. Big Pharma has meds for depression too. Now after a few of those ads for some product or another, the kids commented that the list of side effects seems worse than the problem. I checked webmd.com for the side effects of a non-specific antidepressant. They include headache, nausea, dry mouth, insomnia, dizziness, diarrhea or constipation, sexual problems, fatigue, weight gain, tremors, increased sweating, and risk of suicide. 
My preference is to avoid those possible side effects and find management elsewhere. Chocolate, and more generally, food, helps. Well, maybe this is a culinary episode. Dark chocolate specifically is reported on the PsychiatricTimes.com website to lower the risk of depression. They note that 12 grams, less than half an ounce, and three Hershey's Kisses is about half an ounce, was sufficient to reach those antidepressant effects. But wait! WebMD reports that too much chocolate can lead to major depression. You can write your own jokes. We all have our own comfort foods, usually some version of macaroni and cheese, meatloafs, hamburgers, mom's inauthentic goulash, and many others. What might be helping in those things is fat. What I didn't list was seafood. Shellfish and fatty fish contain omega-3 fatty acids, which, according to one study, can have an impact. The study reads, quote, a significant inverse relation between intake of omega-3 fatty acids from marine sources and the prevalence of depressive symptoms, end quote. I'll add a link to that paper, and you can read the rest of it. Omega-3 and omega-6 is a topic, just not the topic for today. In line with this topic for today, and depression is food. The foods to avoid are easier to identify than are the foods to eat. And this is not me. This is a website saying these are the foods to avoid. Avoid fast foods and processed foods. If it comes in a box, it's probably processed, and it's full of ingredients everyone is better off not eating. Stimulants, too, can increase or extend depression. The two most popular stimulants are alcohol and caffeine. One interesting observation for me is that as I've lost body fat through a low-carb, high-protein diet, my want for coffee has diminished. I do drink it in the morning because it's part of the routine and I'm familiar, but I don't feel the need for it. Examining one's self is frickin' tough. Part of the challenge lies in daring to find what's there. One big risk is you may not care for what you find. That's very scary. The good news is you can change it. Working with loud and abusive chefs taught me to find the right voice in my head. Doing that took time and deliberate effort. What that means is when someone labels you this or that, you're stupid, you're lazy, you're slow, you're inept, that can stick. As they say, that's going to leave a mark. You just won't see it. If he said it, it must be true, is kind of how we approach these things when somebody, air quotes, in authority says that to us. Self-examination means reflect on that input. Because it was said does not mean it is true, and you are under no obligation to accept that information as fact. I found that rejecting the opinions of those above me caused a power struggle in my brain over ideas. 
Now, that's a clunky phrase, but I had to learn who I was, what I was good at, and was I able to learn even if I was told otherwise. With enough of that thinking and examination, I got comfortable with who I was, who I am, and accepted that tomorrow I can change my view of who I am, grow into who I want to be, and take or leave the input I cared not about. Such an exercise is much more challenging than how I just explained it. I spent years on this and read a lot of books. What that means for today is when the busts are deep and long, even with darkness all around, I know it will not last, and I know that pushing through, pushing through the swamps of thoughts and personal demons, finds some emotional place of peace, if only for the moment. Doing things I enjoy, sometimes forcing myself to start, helps. Those things I enjoy are old habits like baking or cooking or even looking at a recipe and thinking about how to make it better than I read it on the page. Brain stimulation for a new tweak on a procedure gets me up. Music helps too, or used to, and probably still does. I know music is subjective and Brahms to some people is just noise. My particular favorite was Back in Black, which has maintained a place in the CD player for over 20 years, and before that it was a cassette. Several cassettes went through them. It is entirely possible the therapy was singing, badly by the way, at the top of my lungs and getting a lot of oxygen into my system. Whatever it was that worked, it worked well. My preferred volume Probably isn't the best for everyone's eardrums, but the lads helped me in ways they'll never know. Depression may be the biggest taboo topic we know. Most people would probably discuss bowel movements before discussing possibly compromised mental health. That's a different issue, but if that's so, that seems too bad. Not all the chefs were buttholes all the time. One of them told a young cook that asking for help was not a sign of weakness. It was a sign of being mature enough to know when you need help. Screaming in the car with Angus and the boys is help. Talking to you is help. Baking muffins is help. If you need help, get it. Our leaders, air quote, have done a number on us. I hope you are well. I hope you are well, and this mandate lockdown silliness gets gone and stays gone. I hope that you, if upon self-examination, want help, find help. Thank you for listening. Er, uh, pardon me, sir, one last thing. It's my very, very bad Columbo fake exit. There is one more thing. Depression seems plainly a brain thing. So, of course, tending to the brain makes sense when it comes to managing mood and depression. There is a growing body of work that supports the gut microbe 
biome impacting the brain and vice versa. In the online paper, Gut Microbiome and Depression, How Microbes Affect the Way We Think, the authors write, quote, with the brain and the gut working in a bi-directional manner, they could affect each other's functions and significantly impact stress, anxiety, depression, and cognition, end quote. In a paper titled The Gut-Brain Axis, The Missing Link in Depression, it reads, quote, The gut microbiota is essential to human health and the immune system and plays a major role in the bi-directional communication between the gut and the brain. Based on evidence, the gut microbiota is associated with metabolic disorders such as obesity, diabetes, mellitus, and neuropsychiatric disorders such as schizophrenia, autistic disorders, anxiety disorders, and major depressive disorders, end quote. The more I read about the gut microbiome, the more I'm impressed at how significant it is to our daily wellness. But let me add that vis-a-vis depression, there is far from a consensus that this is the right path. Because it isn't universally accepted as so, doesn't mean it is wrong. I read that as many people will get into the research space and that can only be good. The gut biome is on the list for episodes. There is so much to cover, it'll take some time to get into it. The opening line from that gut brain access piece reads, quote, the gut microbiota is essential to human health and the immune system and it plays a major role in the bi-directional communication between the gut and the brain, end quote. As a topic goes, it's a big deal. All right, folks, that's going to do it. For reals this time. I'll add the two links to the show notes page, culinarylibertarian.com slash 150, as well as the microbe articles. Some of the detailed content is nerdy, and I don't get it, but the main message is plain enough. Please share this episode around on your social media channels. Also, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. More engagements looks favorable to prospective guests, and I have a list. If you like the show, I would appreciate your support at culinarylibertarian.com slash support. Have a good week, and I'll see you soon. Music for the Culinary Libertarian podcast is provided by Matthew Bankert at mattbankert.com.